Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fire Neural Network's podcast called Fired Up. I'm your host, Christine Manzor, and I have the pleasure of chatting with Marta Yebra from the Australian National University, where she's an associate professor in environmental engineering. Without further ado, I'd love to introduce Marta. Marta, welcome to the show. Hello, Christine. Thanks for having me in the show. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Could you mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about your background, where you're from, how you got in into environmental engineering? Sure, yes. Uh, well, um, my background is Spanish. I study environmental science in a university in Alcalá de Henares in Madrid. And I study my PhD studies as well there in the Department of Geography. Um, and I study the use of remote sensing data from satellites to map uh, fuel moisture content, vegetation uh, water content, uh, in relation to mapping fire risk. I then um, moved to Australia in 2010 uh, to work on a project a slightly different uh, application of remote sensing data for mapping carbon and water. And, uh, but then I started to miss uh, the bushfire application uh, where I, I think I, I see my passion. Um, and I started a position at the NU uh, leading a project to map uh, fire risk uh, in Australia. And um, yeah, I stayed there and then I still here at the NU uh, 10 years later. Great. And so, Taking a step back, I'd, I'd love to learn about how you became so passionate about environmental engineering and bushfire specifically. Uh, how does one get into this industry? Yeah. Well, first of all, um, uh, when I study at the university, I got engaged uh, volunteering in a project uh, to map a uh, fire risk using remote sensing data. And I was very passionate about uh, the power of remote sensing data and, and what uh, those uh, imagery is taking from a space that is so far away can tell us. Um, and I got very passionate about the power of the technology. And then in parallel, I was also very conscious about the bushfire problem uh, in, in Spain and uh, worldwide, and how the bushfire management was uh, making more challenging and challenging with the climate change. So I thought that um, yeah, pursuing a career of using this powerful technology that is remote sensing, uh, to benefit the uh, bushfire managers, uh, it will be a good match, uh, and that's why I continue that path. Great, thank you. And so, um, transitioning from Spain to Australia must have been a, a big transition. Can you hmm. tell me a little bit more about um, how that went for you, and maybe some cultural differences that you encountered? And um, it, it sounds like you've been there for 13 years in Australia, so you've probably gotten used to the way of life there, but I can imagine it's it's pretty different. Yes, uh, somehow it is. Uh, in terms of the research uh, challenges, there are commonalities. Uh, uh, the, my research field of bushfires uh, uh, is also important in Spain, and we share challenges. But yeah, for from a personal point of view, yeah, it was uh, a big jump. Um, so yeah, I moved to Australia 
also with a four months baby and my husband who left his job in Spain. So it was also um, a steep um, a path for him uh, to accommodate and find a new job in, in Spain, sorry, in Australia. But yeah, I think uh, we went through the difficulties of uh, establishing a new life in a new country and uh, we found Australians very welcoming and Canberra, where I live, is a very multicultural city, so they welcome uh, the international uh, community. That's great. I've heard amazing things about Australia. I've, I've been to Spain. I've lived there for a summer. Loved, absolutely loved it. Um, I moved right there. So um, great. So let's dive into uh, Fire Neural Network and, and how you got connected with the company and how um, you're leveraging the technology. So could you tell me a little bit about how you first um, encountered the FNN team? Sure. Yes, uh, look, uh, during the Black Summer Fires in Australia in 2019-2020, um, I'm sure you heard about those. Uh, they were catastrophic bushfires, uh, the largest in the story of Australia. And um, at that time, I was uh, putting together a research center of excellence that I lead at the moment uh, to find uh, better technologies for early fire detection because we realized that one of the challenges that uh, fire managers had at that time was uh, that by the time that the fires were detected and the resources were deployed, the fires were too large and they were out of control. And therefore, there were no, no hope to be able to fully extinguish those fires. Uh, they only could try to keep them under containment lines and their weather conditions would be more favorable. So again, at that time, uh, we started uh, putting a team together of uh, people with, from different disciplines um, to, um, to tackle early fire detection and suppression. We not only look nationally and not only in Australia, uh, but also overseas, we look at what was out there that could be promising technologies to trial in Australia. And we came across a far neural network lighting detectors that we were quite impressed about the technology. And, uh, and from that point, uh, we decided that we wanted to bring that technology to Australia and test it in the Australian environment. Interesting. Okay, so uh, yeah, the Australian fires, the Black Forest fire was just devastating. Uh, and so it sounds like that really forced you to look outside and, and look at you know, new potential options. And so uh, can you tell me about how you ultimately decided to go with a uh, fire neural network and the detectors and uh, shine light as to how that's going, um, that you're still using them. So it must have helped a bit. Sure. So uh, fire neural networks have a very unique technology. We It was a technology that the, uh, no other company could offer. So again, it was um, there was no choice, there was no competition, but also we knew uh, that they came from the university as well, and they had also a very strong fundamental uh, uh, scientific background uh, to to start with that uh, technology. That um, that again, it was well grounded with science. So again, we we got in touch with them. Uh, they also seem to be uh, quite enthusiastic and passionate about um, stopping bushfires, and we show very quickly how uh, a partnership 
could work well, uh, and that's why we decided to go ahead. Okay, great. And then could you describe the process? So could you kind of describe, you know, how, what it looks like from start to finish um, when you implement and leverage these detectors, you know, what kind of data you're receiving and, and um, just walk me through the whole process. Well, uh, installing the detectors in Australia was no easy task. Uh, I mean, uh, one of the complications we had, uh, uh, believe it or not, was to find uh, sites that had enough internet connection uh, for the detectors to um, send uh, the information uh, and to process the data. So uh, here in Australia, uh, internet connection is not great. And uh, most of the detectors and we wanted to install some of those detectors in remote areas because it's where we really want to have early fire detection capability. So the, it was very challenging to find um, locations that have uh, the specific characteristics uh, that the, the detector network needed to run efficiently. But once we overcome that difficulty, I think it was quite a straightforward process. Um, it was very easy to work with uh, the company and they came to Australia and installed the network of six detectors that we had in a record time of one week. It was, we were very lucky that the weather contributed and we didn't have any rains during that time. So we were able to progress very well in the works. But also, we also did some, some work internally in the ANU to have some of the installations almost ready for them to come and finalize in that uh, week time. Great. Um, and so just talking generally about um, to the progression of technology in, with fire, you know, we're seeing more and more fires, large fires pop up throughout the world. And so it's becoming even more and more important to leverage these, you know, progressive technologies to stop the spread of these fires because they're becoming increasingly more devastating. So can you shed some light about you've been in the industry for a while you've dealt with fires and through your environmental engineering studies and research can you talk generally about how you've seen I'm sure in the last 20 years you know the progression of technology and different methods to really try to keep up with the the spread of these bushfires and wildfires could you talk generally about the trend that you've seen um potentially some obstacles you know it's obviously if you know a system is already in place sometimes it's hard to change that and develop and progress uh and so maybe you can speak a little bit about the obstacles as well with these new mm -hmm. technologies yeah i think in the last uh, few years i have seen a pro uh, uh, a progress towards the use of more uh, data data driven technology so um, these days we have ac access to a vast amount of data and information. So there has been a proliferation of also uh, artificial intelligence algorithms, uh, because again, we have these rich data sets uh, that uh, are uh, needed for the calibration of the artificial, arti uh, artificial intelligence algorithms. So I have seen how there has been a, a big jump into using AI uh, for fire detection and fire progression and so on and so forth. Um, I guess the limitation is that um, sometimes 
if not done carefully, uh, these technologies, these AI algorithms are calibrated as a big black box where you don't really understand the process. You just throw data and you get an output. So I think we still need to be careful with that and really understand the underlying processes that are driving fire emission and fire behavior. So um, that's something that uh, I am of, uh, of a lot of interest, right? It's not just, again, putting all the inputs in a machine, running the machine and having an outcome, but also understanding what are the different variables, what are the contributions of the different variables to the process uh, and which are the key drivers of that process. Absolutely. So would you say there just needs to be more education in this space in general, you know, understanding what specific data points that need to be included into the machine or into the AI, and then also understanding the data that comes out so that you can create actionable insights. Would you say that now, you know, pe people are becoming more and more interested in their, in their, you know, actively learning this, but do you, do you think that there's still space for more education? Yes, definitely. Uh, there needs to be a complete understanding of the variables that go in and uh, the outputs of the modeling. Uh, and uh, the outputs of the modeling depend on what the, the variable you have used for calibrated is. So yeah, again, you need to have a clear understanding of both the inputs and the outputs and the limitations of the outputs. It's okay if your model has certain uh, uncertainties, but those uh, need to be recognized. And, and so far, managers can make decisions uh, with that uncertainty, uh, having into account that uncertainty. Definitely. And so speaking of outcomes, have there been any surprising outcomes that you've learned uh, through leveraging this, this data and leveraging AI? And um, yeah, well, uh, we installed the, um, the lighting detector uh, in February uh, this year. And uh, interestingly, uh, the day after we have a, a lightning storm uh, that caused four emissions. So it was a good opportunity to test uh, the technology. Of course, four emissions is not enough for a proper evaluation, but it's, it was a good start. And um, we did a lot of investigation on the emission source, and we compared uh, that, um, that those uh, emission sources with uh, the information that was coming with the detectors and the high-risk lighting modeling that the uh, fire neural networks do, and the information coming from the detectors on the long continuum current. And um, it was very nice to see that there is great pro uh, promise in the technology. Even the network was not still fully calibrated. Uh, most of the emissions were associated to either high-risk lighting, uh, accounting for by the environmental conditions, uh, or with long continuum current or both. So it was a, a, a nice uh, preliminary resource uh, to keep us uh, working together into better understanding uh, the information that is coming from the detectors and how we can better integrate that with environmental variables uh, coming from Australian data sources. Definitely. So speaking generally, um, you know, obviously the Canadian fires have been, you know, in the news all summer. It's just those have been de devastating as well. Do you work internationally with different um, universities or are you pretty much focused um, within Australia? No, I do have a extensive network of collaborators overseas. Yeah. 
Okay. So have you done, have you done any work with uh, Canada and the fires over there? Have you, were you involved with any of that? Well, not directly uh, involved uh, in any study of the fires that have uh, happened in Canada recently, but uh, I've been in close collaboration with the team that is developing a satellite mission for uh, fire uh, monitoring uh, that is called uh, Wildfire Sat. And I've been involved uh, with the team developing that mission because it's very complementary to what we are doing in my uh, research center of excellence, but also uh, we are also building a satellite, uh, but for the characterization of the fuel uh, to know what's the dryness of the landscape, what's the fuel load, and this type of information that is relevant for uh, characterizing the flammability of the landscape. And this satellite is very complementary to what the Canadian uh, wildfire sat is doing that is active detection because of course, once you detect a fire, you want to know what are the conditions of the fuel. So you know with more accuracy where the fire may spread and at what velocity and what are the potential areas uh, where there might be uh, wet vegetation that may act as a soft containment line uh, for the fire to slow down and stop the spread. So yeah, having uh, some collaborations uh, with Canada in those lines, yeah. Interesting. Well, great. So we're wrapping up the episode. This has been so educational. I've, I've learned a lot. And so um, thank you so much for answering all my questions. And, um, you know, to end, do you have any words of advice to those in the fire industry? You know, potentially, sometimes in regards to technology, sometimes it's intimidating to try an entirely new technology. Um, but you kind of have to keep up. So do you have any words of advice for people who are looking for different solutions um, to better detect these these wildfires? Yeah, my advice would be to to try to support uh, new technologies. I know and uh, they are always super busy and they need to make decisions that uh, risk lives. So they need to be 100% sure uh, that a specific technology works. But also, again, they need to give opportunities to new technologies, even if it's in an early adoption uh, phase. Because again, uh, this is the only way where we can make big steps, transformational ch uh, changes in the way we manage bushfires. If uh, we only base our decisions on known technologies or on information we feel comfortable with, will never make uh, make these transformational changes that we need uh, to cope with the challenges that uh, will come in years uh, ahead with climate change and increased uh, frequency of bushfires uh, and, and the severity of the bushfires. So again, I, 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 I would advise to be an early adopter of research and help with the evaluation of that uh, research and technology. Absolutely. Marta, thank you so much for your time today. This was a great episode. I really enjoyed chatting with you and learning uh, about your work. And um, yeah, thank you for, for being a guest on our show. Thank you. No problem. A pleasure. Okay.